0: Nothing on the Bonnell Foundation's Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast should be considered medical advice. Medical advice can only come from your CF physician. Cystic fibrosis can be a devastating diagnosis, but living with the disease can bring positivity and a new appreciation for each day. From the Bonnell Foundation in Detroit, Michigan, it's the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast, sponsored by Vertex Pharmaceutical. Here's your host, Laura Bonnell. Joan Galinkin is from New Jersey, but she had to move to Pittsburgh when her 33-year-old son Jesse had to have a lung transplant. Not only was it hard enough to hear that a transplant was needed as his lung function was at 20% and he was on oxygen, but he also had B. cepatia, and only certain transplant teams in the country will do that sort of transplant on persons with that deadly bacteria. And when I say deadly bacteria, I mean to the person who has CF. And that is changing a little bit as scientists work on medications that can fight that B. sepatia. So in 2019, Jesse was told he needed a transplant. His parents moved to Pittsburgh so he could get transplanted. And that was in April of 2020, the height of the pandemic with no vaccine in sight. So a very scary time, any time to be transplanted. And then on top of that, add a pandemic in the height of it. So we talked about a mother's fear, grief, and moving forward. Welcome, Joan. It's so good to see you, even though we're still over Zoom, but we are states away. But really, as CF moms, we are so close. But it is great to have you on this podcast. And it was wonderful to get to know you a little bit when you joined our CF moms retreat. You know, it was really nice. To talk to one another. So thanks for joining us.
1: Always a pleasure to be in your company, in person or over Zoom. It's always a pleasure.
0: And I think I wanted to start with the first thing that struck me when we were talking on the Moms Retreat was that it is okay to talk about the sad part of CF and the grief of CF. We have so many ups and downs, right? And we just... We're still making it through a pandemic. And when I was going over the notes before we started this, you know, about your son had a transplant really at the height of the pandemic. April 2020, I mean, it hit the U.S. There certainly in Michigan, March 11th or 13th of 2020. How was that?
1: Well, it was... um... I'm trying to remember all the details. I remember he was like, we were so happy after five years. We were going to Pittsburgh for five years and he never needed oxygen. So no matter that his PFTs were in the 20s, finally needed oxygen of December of 19. So we finally went back and they said, okay. And he was on Pregnizone. So we had to lower his Pregnizone. So we just waited and waited in Jersey. And then the end of April, they said we could come And it was just, it was unbelievable. We found a place to rent.
0: And so you're in Jersey. And we had to go to Pittsburgh. About
1: five hours, right? It's really five and a half, six, because Jesse has Cepatia. So nobody else would do it besides Dr. Peluski in Pittsburgh, who, you know, obviously in our family is pretty much an idol, an icon, as far as we're concerned. So we commuted to Pittsburgh. And at that time, my ex was working, his wife, and he had a six-month-old daughter five-month-old daughter so we had to leave his wife with a new baby my ex was still working we were all going to take turns staying in Pittsburgh the only good part about COVID is my husband lost his job so we were both in Pittsburgh together because there was so much medicine and this is before the transport so much anxiety and medicine and you're just waiting and waiting and and it was like Melrose Place. We lit, we bought we rented an apartment, and nobody wore a mask. Everybody was under thirty, and nobody wore a mask. Wow! So we did not leave the apartment except to go food shopping. But I mean, everybody went through COVID. You know, you took ten hours to wash your food afterwards with alcohol, or whatever. and then, um, ironically, my boyfriend's father died, and he called me, and ten minutes later, we got the call that Jesse had a lung. It was like the cycle of life. It was unbelievable. And he got the first, the first time it, it, we didn't have to do it. And not your father-in-law's lung to be clear. No, 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 no. He, it's not my father-in-law's my boyfriend's father. He was 96. No, they did not. Take gotcha. This. They did not take his lung. So, you know, only one of us could go at a time. So my husband, my ex-husband went for the surgery, you know, the night before, because Jesse gets so anxious. I wouldn't have been able to deal with it. And then I stayed for the next three weeks in the hospital with him, you know, and i you. And just the
0: fact of having to physically move and during a pandemic and yes. that there is family leave, but really our country is not equipped or doesn't prepare us for the ability to care for a child with a chronic illness. You don't have enough time off work. Um, yes. The only good thing about, well, there are. Several good things that have come from the pandemic, but people can work from home. You can work from a hospital. It depends on your job. But my gosh, going through this in one of the scariest time. I know.
1: But I mean, the ironic part was we were isolated. We were going to be isolated anyway, but the whole world was isolated. So it almost, not that it made it easier, but everybody, I worked online. I I worked the whole time. I'm an accountant. I did taxes. My son, the whole time was working. He maybe didn't work for three weeks because he works from home. Mm -hmm. So that part and the fact that people wear masks anyway, I think made it easy for my son because I think if if there wasn't COVID and he was the only person wearing a mask, he wouldn't deal with it as well as I think now everybody feels a little more comfortable wearing a mask, which is just a little aside. But emotionally, I think, you know, being autoimmune and all the things, you know, this Transplant has such different worries than CF. Right. Like the breathing, the, the machines, all that stuff, the vest, it's gone. You know, now you worry about autoimmune. And ironically, my son got COVID a month ago. Oh, my gosh. But such little symptoms. He thought he had a cold from his daughter. I didn't know this, but when you're autoimmune, they said since you have less antibodies, you don't you get less symptoms when you get sick. I never knew that, but he's fine. He still tested positive two weeks later, but they said that could happen. But he, he had to move out of the house and live with my ex for like two for two weeks, and then he finally got to go home.
0: I know there's also um, some issues with people who have had transplants because of their rejection medications. Yeah. The COVID um, vaccine doesn't always work, but it worked in his case.
1: Well, I'm assuming.
0: It was just a breakthrough, right?
1: Right. We never tested antibodies, but maybe he wouldn't have had such a mild case if he, because he already had the booster mm-hmm. and he did go and we did get the monochromal antibodies, if that's the right word. We did go to the hospital and get that done once they found that he had COVID. I almost think now that he had it, um, not as anxious. You know, I was so anxious of him getting it that something terrible was going to happen. You know, now I'm a little less anxious. Plus, I think everybody, just everybody doesn't know how to live, you know, now they've, I'm the crime. I mean, I feel like nobody knows what to do. If you have CF, if you have a transplant, if you're just like us, right? Um, it's a, as you know, it's just, just nothing to do with CF. It's just a really strange time to know what to do.
0: In reading all the information that you gave me about Jesse's journey, I read it and I thought, There is nothing in here. And I know you've voiced it before, like in the mom's retreat, but there wasn't anything in here about you, about your pain or how hard (laughs) it must have been or how much PTSD you still have to have. And I think that's one of the things that I'm becoming more and more aware of, which is crazy because my daughters are 24 and 26. So I am aware of it, but I think we're always just getting through to the next exacerbation, right? We're just getting, we're living life. We're positive. I think of my girls are going to live a long life, but you're still, or I feel like I'm still always holding my breath. Okay. Got to get through the pandemic. Um, And then what's going to happen in this and this and this. So what are your feelings now that you are looking back on you know the transplant and we're still in a pandemic um as a mom how did you get through it and are getting through it
1: (laughs) well I think that um I'll try not to cry taking care of my son making sure he's okay has always been the first thing on my mind every day you know that's I just Probably somewhat to his detriment, I was pretty much an enabler. If I look back, I should have, you know, not been such. But I just felt like whatever I could do to make his life easier, anything. When he was little, I would go to every McDonald's to get every toy, whatever can make him happy. Um, but I feel like my son, once he went to college, his PFTs were so low that my perspective changed. Like I knew he was going to need a transplant. When he was a teenager, I, did, I thought it was... Somewhere in the road. So I feel like my expectations of his life might have been, if lower is the right word, than other people. You know, I was just wanting him to be healthy. I wasn't worried about him getting married. I wasn't worried about what kind of job he had. I, I didn't think about the global things that I think most parents think about. Now that he's had the transplant and he's married and he has a child, sometimes I don't know where to put myself in the caretaker role anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I think his wife is very much, you know, has the baby to worry about, and it's always, and her mother helps her. And I've always, I still to this day am pretty involved in my son's life. You realize you don't really know, but it's not the same. And where do you fit as your child gets to be in their 20s? Right.
0: I agree. It's really interesting because the one time when my daughter was at college that she was, it was her graduation actually from Michigan State University. And, um, she had an exacerbation, she had hemoptysis, and her boyfriend at the time was like, I'm staying at the hospital with her. And he was sleeping <laughs> in her hospital bed with her. And it was a whole new feeling. I was like, well, I'm staying. Right. So all three of us are right. staying. Out.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, and it was fine, but yeah, it's, it's a learning curve, right? Yes.
1: And I think some children, you know, or children's right word with CFR more independent than mine, because I think I I said, you know, because I am an enabler, um, you know, he's used to relying on me. There's a lot of things he doesn't. And he's a father now. And I have he's totally responsible. But I do feel that people are different. You know what I mean? Some kids are very independent. Some kids like to have the aid. Some kids, they get married or they have kids and that changes the dynamics. And I think I personally don't understand the impact of the new drugs because they mean nothing to me. My son had a transplant already and he's got the nonsense mutation, so they don't have anything for him anyway. So I'm sure that's changed the dynamic in a way that I can't relate to. Right. You know, as far as people weren't, maybe people worrying a little less.
0: Right. Because of the new drug that, yeah, changes the underlying condition of CF. But then you look at my girls, it worked for one. It didn't work for the other. So I know. That last 10% that Emily's entourage is actually working very hard and, you know, um, to get is very meaningful. But as we go and we're talking back to parenting and adult, you almost need training, right? On what to do because (laughs) it's (laughs) it's about finding your place. But it is a family disease. It's not like... Jesse or Molly and Emily, like yeah, they did it on their own, yeah. and now, whoo! Thank goodness, now they're married, no worries. Or now they have a I you know, know significant good. other. Um, yeah. You're still big time a part of it in just different ways. I think you nailed that.
1: Yeah, no, I think it really depends on the parent-child relationship. It depends on the child's health. Some young adults are doing really well, and it becomes easier for the parents to step back a little bit and feel the positiveness of whatever a transplant. You know, I don't, I, there's one other woman I've talked to whose child has a transplant, you know, Jesse's like, he works, he's married, you know, some people with transplants, he said they don't work, you know, or some people who are really sick don't really work full time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people have a totally different lifestyle where they probably still live at home or are more dependent on their family, depending on how sick they are. You know, you, you can tell somebody that your child has CF, but there are so many different levels and so many different stories that go with it. But it is very nice, like you said, to talk to um, other mothers of people with CF. When he was young, I really think I chose to not ignore it at all, but try to make his life almost too normal. Right. I didn't really make CF as you know big a part and push him to take care of himself I just you want to sleep over your friend's house but you know I just wanted him to be normal in the worst way right you know and not feel different in any way and sometimes you really sh- you know they are different and if they their friends know and your family know it, it should be just part of who they are and not any stigma attached and I maybe my son felt a little bit like he didn't want people to know when he was young yeah
0: and that's interesting too because although where my kids went to school that community knew the girls were fine with everyone knowing but I also kind of did similar I almost went to the other end no excuses everybody has something we have CF you can't stay home from school there's just no excuses and at some point you have to say you know what you do have CF and you know, I mean, my girls were taking pick lines and their IV poles to school and flushing Fair their out. own meds and like we really to school? Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. We might have been a little crazy on the other side, just making it normal, just going to school and and everybody asks how we're doing. Oh, everything's fine. We're doing fine. So we might have gone a little too extreme <laughs> and maybe you needed more to say, you know what? It just is it's really hard. Like they're up constantly because of the IV meds. You got to wake right. up every, you know, six hours or in the middle of the night, like, cause you have to do it so many times a day, et cetera.
1: Yes. But you know, we did what we did and no one's a perfect parent. Right. No, no. You know, I'm sure, you know, do your children talk about what you did for them and how they felt about you as a parent with CF, you shouldn't have done that. Or you should have done that. Do they have, do you have those conversations?
0: Um, we do sometimes, or they'll laugh like, um, you know, if I'm trying to do too much, I've got this now, mom, like I can call the insurance company. I can make my, I mean, they're definitely into that doing the insurance and of course, making all their doctor's appointments now, and they won't even let me go. And I'm like, Oh, really? (laughs) I'd really like to come to that CF appointment, but they're
1: like, no. We have to go to Pittsburgh because he has a and somebody has to take him and not take him. But I don't talk as much in the meetings, in the doctor's appointments. Right. I just sit and listen. Um The insurance thing, I still try to help out somewhat because sometimes I feel like that's just, you know, such a pain in the neck, right. you know exactly. what I mean, and this and that and whatever. And I feel like he has a lot between having a job and having a baby and taking care of himself, you know, it's not like he's not a responsible citizen. You know, if he was just sitting around doing nothing, I'd say, well, you do it. But, you know, I feel like I still want to make his life a little easier <laughs> if I can.
0: And I do think they need our help and our experience. And of course they're yeah. adults and, and doing things, but I always try and think like, if I was, you know, I'm meeting with a a CF mom locally here um, in a couple hours and she's a new CF mom. And I think what will her questions be or what can I tell her? I mean, there's no mistake free parenting. It's just not possible. Even if you're a parent to a dog or a cat, like you're always going to make a mistake. You leave them too long or you don't take the dog outside, whatever. So I know we can't be perfect But I do think like, what is my best advice? Um, What would your best advice be?
1: I guess I tell the parent, I mean, you just have to listen to what the doctor said, try to make their life as normal as possible, but make them realize they're responsible for taking care of themselves. But I just feel it must be so much more positive now that the doctors, the CF doctor must feel so much more able to tell the parent all these good things.
0: I think there's more hope, right? So
1: much more hope. Yeah,
0: that's what I would think.
1: So much more hope. And the only thing I feel sometimes, um, you can't go back in time, like you said, if you have cancer, if you have a child that is cancer. They have cancer. There's X amount of medicines. The thing about CF that can make you get so mad at yourself is there's things you can do to make it better. Like, did you exercise enough? Did I make him take his medicine enough? We had a hot tub for a while. I shouldn't have. I feel like there's so many things with CF that you can feel like you made mistakes with. Whereas I feel like other disease, you have the disease, you take the medicine, God willing, you get better. But with CF, my son and I sometimes say, yeah, we realize we should have been stricter when he was younger. Maybe that would have made a difference. Or maybe we should have gone on. Sometimes he didn't want to go on IV. We should have gone on IV. So I feel like that's the only thing about CF. And maybe there were other diseases like that. You can have self-doubt that you didn't always do the right thing. Did you
0: feel that way? I understand, but there are so many variables. And then I think I also know families who followed everything to the letter. And then it's just the biology of it that it just didn't matter. And I think for us, what I felt we needed to do and my husband and what we decided to do was there had to be a balance, right? There had to be an emotional and physical balance. Like, okay, you're not doing your treatment because you have got to go to this volleyball game that you're, you know, in whatever. Right. Okay. So then you're doing it after the game, your treatments or whatever. So there was that. And then I also think about, I would always try and think about other quote, normal families who maybe they didn't take, you know, all the medications they were prescribed. Like no one is perfect. Like who's judging me or my kids. Right. I mean, to be adherent 24, 7, 365 days a year, it's truly impossible. No, absolutely. You can only do your best. So I just, I think it's kind of finding that balance and being honest, right? But yes, it gives us a lot of guilt.
1: Well, yes. Because I, I guess I thought maybe I didn't do enough reading when he was young, is that whatever case you had, you had. If you had a mild case, you had a mild case. If you didn't have a mild case, you didn't have a mild case. I didn't really, because I know that my first doctor stressed it, I didn't really understand at the beginning how much what you did would make a difference. But you're right. I have heard people say kids do nothing and they're healthy as can be. And kids do everything and they get sick. So I think it's probably like that nature nurture thing in life itself. You know, some of it's just genetic Mm -hmm. and some of it's how you deal with it. That makes a difference. I mean, Jesse has two nonsense genes, which is awful. You know, some people have one nonsense and one whatever. So, you know, he's as a stopgap, you get nothing. You know, he has there's nothing positive that happens when you have nonsense. Well,
0: and there's so many mutations, which is what you're talking about. So thousands now. I know. It was, I think, 760, that number six in my head when my daughters were born. And that wasn't that long ago. And now there's right. thousands. I mean, they were always the same amount of mutations. It's just that it took them, the Genome Project, to discover
1: But they still only have three ways that the CTRF or whatever travel, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. the stopgap is the worst because you get nothing through there and the other ones are a little bit better. So I guess it depends what mutation falls under those three. Right. But he was seven months, no, seven months when we found that he had CF. And then the next year they found the gene and the doctor said, oh, by the time he's a teenager, they'll have a cure.
0: Because they discovered the gene in 89, right?
1: So he was born in 88. So they didn't have the gene. And then they discovered the gene in 89. And it was like, oh, by the time he's a teenager, they'll have a cure. Because they'll, I can't believe, what did they call the thing when they replace the cells? I can't believe I can't think of the word.
0: Are you talking gene editing or gene therapy?
1: Gene therapy. They said, oh, they'll have gene therapy by the time he's a teenager. And it'll be great. And if they did, he would be fine. But it's much harder to find them. I guess gene therapy didn't work the way they thought it was. Right. Well,
0: and I remember Dr. Francis Collins saying, you know, who was part of the Genome Project, a huge part, saying, yeah, we thought things would go a lot faster. I know. Um, And they were surprised by that. But it's so interesting, the mom journey of where it takes us. Yes. And then they're adults and they do need us, but it's a different kind of direction for us, I think.
1: I mean, they're adults, you know what I mean? And they, uh, I think it's hard for parents to let go. I don't think it's as hard for the kids as it is hard for the parents when you're a caregiver to all of a sudden be less of a caregiver and to realize, you know, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you tell the doctor? You know,
0: right.
1: You know, I, we don't talk about it every day. I don't call them and tell them what to do. Right. And I know Jesse had a
0: transplant. But I remember at some point, I don't know if the girls were eight and 10, but I remember saying to their CF doctor, I just need to know how old are they going to be? Like, what are they going to live to? And it's not like she could tell me. Right. But I needed her to. I needed this wondering and thinking like, okay they're going to die between 17 and 19. Thankfully they have not, they've surpassed that, but that was their life expectancy at the time. And um, eventually she said, Oh, well, they'll probably make it till 60. And at that time I was like, Oh, well, that would be a relief, you know, but I always worried. And now Emily recently um, had a CF visit and her doctor said, you know, because of all these new drugs, these, a CF modulator drugs, she said, you know, you're not going to die from CF.
1: That's amazing.
0: And Emily's like, wow, you know, I mean, we still have to get a drug that works for Emily because the drug only works for Molly, the triple combo drug. And there's still challenges. It's not like, oh, just because everyone says there's a drug, no one's going to have any problems. I think that's the hard thing, too, for new parents is... There is this promising drug out there and more to come, but it still doesn't make everything all better. People I know that are on this, you know, triple combination drug. Yes, it's had a huge impact on their life, but they're still having exacerbations, you know, so it isn't
1: perfect. Yeah. I think like there's certain people that feel like I've heard somebody say this on, you know. You can plan for the future now, whereas people would maybe, maybe they wouldn't get married. Maybe they wouldn't have kids because they weren't sure, you know, and I think now people probably feel more positive about that. I mean, having a kid is still a lot of work when when you have CF, but at least, you know, you'll be around, which is really a big difference, I think.
0: Absolutely. So now what do you see for your future? Do you feel like, all right, now you can do a little more. You know, with your own life, or travel more, or obviously we're in the pandemic still. But but, what are your thoughts for you for the future?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, my, the kids used to live with me, and and now they don't, and I feel like I have my own life, and Jesse has his own life. You know, and I'm still there for him, but you know, it's it's nice, you know, because you know it, it's been a big part of my life. It's still a part of my life, but I feel like okay now I have like a little more of my own space in my own life. I mean, the pandemic definitely makes an influence. I was never a big traveler, but I have friends all over the country and I'm not rushing to go, you know, I miss them, but I'm not rushing to go see him and they live in warm climates. So that, you know, the travel and the the COVID is really, you know, it made things a little more difficult, but um, it's nice. You know, I love having a granddaughter. I love that he has a, a daughter and I mean, with transplant, they sort of say if you make it past five years, that's really a good sign for you being able to make it longer. You know, I worry about the future and I worry about what if something happens to me and, you know, he won't have me as a backstop or whatever. But you can't put yourself in that place. You can just plan as much as you can to make whatever arrangements needs to be made to make his life easier if something ever happened to me. So I do feel like um. It would be a little harder for him if I wasn't around. It's nice to have of course, that person in your corner that, you know, is always there for you and will help you out and stuff like that. But I also feel like, you know, people survive and learn how to, you know, like, I think I'm so important, but maybe (laughs) it'd be fine without me. (laughs) Well, you are, and you know all his history. Yes. Yes.
0: You know, and that's the thing. We know things that we probably haven't even shared with our kids just because we just did it. We knew it
1: intuitively. Right. You just yeah. knew
0: we could tell things or
1: well, I think it's having your mother, or your father, wherever the relationship works out, the parents, you know, you know they're always there to help you. You know, I think that's a very reassuring feeling.
0: I do too. And I think that's probably a very common mom thought, like I've right. thought. Well, <laughs> I absolutely need to live forever or I absolutely need to live as long as my girls do because they need me. I mean, (laughs) you know, right. So uh, yeah, that's really hard. I don't, I'm sure there's uh, some diagnosis (laughs) for whatever that
1: is. No, I think like what what about people have kids that are, you know, emotionally and physically disabled and you're so like my kid can live without me but I still feel like I want to, you know, be there. So I should probably drink less and eat better, but I, you know, (laughs) to live longer, but I don't, you know, it is always in the back of your head that you're very happy to be able to help them. And, you know, you worry what's going to happen if you're not around, but other people obviously pick up the slack and, and they, you know, they're adults.
0: Right. They'll be fine. They have friends and spouses and in-laws and, or, Other parents that are friends. Right.
1: But they're not us. But right? Oh, they're, they're not, not us.
0: us. <laughs> there's no, there's n- no comparison. Absolutely. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to, wanted to add or
1: talk about? I guess if there's anybody that the child has had a transplant is listening, who gets to listen, I do think there's a little sadness that these drugs didn't come in time to help my son. That's something that, you know, every once in a while, but there are parents who have lost children, you know, who could feel even stronger than I do about that. Like that's the only, as joyful as I am, for everybody who has been helped by this drug, I can't tell you that I'm not a little sad that my son wasn't able to be helped in time. So that's the only thing I guess I'd want to share with other parents who are in the same situation I am. And I think that's huge. And
0: I do think that's a loss. I not comparing it to Jesse's situation because he had a transplant and my girls have not had to go through that. But I feel the loss for Emily because it didn't work for her. And I'm so happy for Molly and Emily. I remember when she failed on it. And saying she failed on it is probably a terrible word to use, but it didn't work for her. And I remember her saying to Molly, you better get on this just because it didn't work for me. You have to do it. And, you know, so there was that sisterly support. But it is definitely a loss and something that we grieve over. And. It's just all part of this big, huge disease. So thank you for sharing that. That's
1: a huge point. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's very nice. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and to share. You too. And if anybody
0: wants to get in touch with you, a mom who has a child who has a transplant, they can email the Binell Foundation and we'll get them in touch with you.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. No.
0: So, thanks for joining us. All right, sweet. Thank you. See you soon. The original music in this podcast is performed by Kevin Allen. It's not complicated. Who happens to have cystic fibrosis. We all got our worries and fears. I know it's got you frustrated. But loving you is so all right.
1: This has been the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast. For more information and to learn more about the Bonnell Foundation, check them out online at thebonnellfoundation.org. That's
0: B-O-N-N-E-L-L-foundation.org. This podcast was sponsored by Vertex Pharmaceutical, the science of possibility, and produced by Jag and Detroit Podcasts,